0: The writer of the Hebrew letter gives us our text this morning. It comes from the 13th division of that Hebrew letter in verse 8. And he writes, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Folks, Jesus Christ has had a greater influence and a greater impact on mankind than any other person who has ever lived. It was Jesus who divided our history into B.C. and A.D. B.C. before Christ. A.D. on Domini, the year of our Lord. And even after all of these years, over 2,000 of them, Millions upon millions of people like to think of themselves as disciples of Jesus Christ. Millions of people willingly call themselves by his name Christians. This man of Nazareth, this man that was hated, crucified, and dishonored, and yet Jesus has outlived all of the things that mocked him. Some of his critics, they tried to convince the world that Jesus never really existed. There are those who claim that Jesus was and is only a myth. Atheistic groups in our own nation, such as the Freedom From Religion Foundation, look for every opportunity they can find to remove a cross from a cemetery, or to do anything they can to remove the influence of Jesus and make us not just a God-neutral society, but a godless society. And make no mistake about it. You go to the halls of the Congress of the United States, you go to the State House in any state in this union, and you will find lawmakers who would readily deny Jesus Christ. You'll find lawmakers who would eradicate Christianity if it was within their power to do so. You'll find those who pass laws that violate the very principles of Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. When I think of that group and the Freedom from Religion Foundation, when I think of some of the infidels, and there's no other name for them but infidels serving in public office. When I think of those who advocate the murder of yet unborn babies, when I think of those that would willingly trample upon the rights of Christians, I think about a story I heard that came from an elementary school classroom. It illustrates beautifully how out of the mouths of babes can come some of the greatest truths we'll ever know. It seems there was a young woman teaching a class of young children. I think they were about third graders. And this young woman was freshly out of school and she had obvious liberal tendencies. And she is explaining to this class of young, impressionable, eight-year-old children that she is an atheist. And so she tells them that she is an atheist because she doesn't really believe in God. And she asked the class, are you all atheists? Would you like to be atheists? They're eight years old. They're in third grade. They want to please their teacher. They want the approval of the young woman who's teaching their class. Not really understanding this concept of atheism completely and and wanting to be like their teacher. All their hands go up just like it was freshly fireworks, with one exception. There's one little girl sitting in the first row about midway back who does not raise her hand. She has chosen not to go along with the crowd. And the teacher looks at her and she calls her name and she says, why have you decided to be different? She says, because I'm not an atheist. Atheist. And the teacher says, well, if you're not an atheist, then what are you? And the little girl says, I'm a Christian. Well, this young teacher, she's so first year to teach. She's a little perturbed, and her face is a little bit red. And she says, well, can you tell the class, me in the class why you were a Christian? She said, well, I was brought up knowing about Jesus. And I was brought up to love Jesus. And my mama is a Christian, and my daddy is a Christian, and my grandparents are Christian, and so I am also. Well, the teacher now is angry. She said, that's no reason. And she's getting a bit belligerent with this little girl. She said, that's just no reason at all. What if your mom and dad were idiots? And what if your grandparents were idiots? What would you be then? The little girl paused, and she smiled, and she said, well... I guess then I'd be an atheist. I love that story. You see, folks, even the Jewish Talmud admits that Jesus Christ was real and that Jesus Christ actually existed the great secular Jewish historian, the guy that's the go-to guy for Jewish history, Josephus, refers to Jesus. Born in a stable in Bethlehem, reared in Nazareth, he only lived the third of a century. And that third of a century was all in one little tiny corner of the earth. But his life and his teachings have reached into all of time and all of space. They've reached to all people in all places. And Jesus is the central figure in all of history. There are hundreds of Old Testament prophecies that tell us in great, great detail of the coming of Jesus. Many of these were hundreds of years old when Jesus was born. We read one of them a moment ago from Isaiah 53. And then typical is Isaiah seven fourteen, where he says, Isaiah writes, Behold, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. A virgin shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, you find that beautiful verse quoted. Matthew writes all of this, talking about the birth of Christ, Matthew writes all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall bring forth a son. That's the same idea we find in the beginning sentences of the gospel according to John. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. And then verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and lived among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory, as of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus, the divine Son of God, came and lived among men. The Scriptures often refer to Jesus. And they use many different forms. He's called the Way. He's called the truth and the life. He's called the door, the foundation, the chief cornerstone, the light of the world, the water of life, the bread of life, the bridegroom, the great physician. I'm going to ask you, I went through those pretty quickly. Do you notice that each of those figures of speech is absolutely essential? You can't have life without bread or water. You can't build a building without a foundation. You can't enter a house without a door. And there is no existence without life. There's no real existence without truth. In every case, Jesus is compared with something that's absolutely essential. But you know what? The thing that stands out above all of these is the fact that Jesus was our Redeemer. He was our Savior. Without the redemptive blood of Jesus being shed on Calvary's tree, we have no hope of life eternal in heaven. Remember the words of Paul in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 and verse 23? He says, there's none righteous, no, not one. And then he says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In 1 John, we find these words in verses 8 and 10 of chapter 1. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We, me, you, us, we're sinners. And there is absolutely nothing on the top side of God's green earth we can do to redeem ourselves. The writer of the Hebrew letter would say, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. There's no sacrifice that man himself can offer. There's no payment that you and I can make to buy ourselves back. There's no way that we can redeem ourselves from the guilt and the penalty of sin. But Jesus came. Praise God, He came. And He bought my redemption. He bought your redemption. He paid the penalty. He became sin for us. Jesus redeemed us. We've got such a beautiful passage in John chapter 3 and verse 16. God so loved the world how much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Remember Matthew 1 verse 21. It says, She shall bring forth a Son. She shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins." Somehow, that brings the passage we read at the Lord's table a few minutes ago, just a little bit closer to home, doesn't it? But, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes. We are healed. And then in the New Testament, notice 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And that reminds us of Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul writes, Christ, in you, the hope of glory. The only hope we have of salvation or redemption is in Jesus Christ. You know the great tragedy of our day and time? Is that so many people who are in essential agreement with the Lord and His way of life never really become Christians. And never really have that redemption. And never really enjoy that freedom from their sins. We talk about it a lot. But I don't think we can ever get it indelibly on our mind the way it really is. I think over the years that we have so sanitized the last few hours of Jesus' life that we don't really realize what it was like. But go with me just for a moment this morning by an eye of faith, and live just for a few moments those last hours that Jesus spent on Earth. Jesus had been born in a manger in a stable at Bethlehem, and in his, his early life, he was forced to flee to Egypt just to survive, and then after time, he came back to Nazareth. It was a little town that most of us would consider unworthy. As a place to live. Jesus lived for a third of a century. In what you and I would consider abject poverty. He did that. He lived that way. And he did it willingly. To redeem my soul. Personalize it. Internalize it. Don't think of it as Jesus did that to redeem the souls of men and women all over the world. Jesus did all that to redeem my soul. During all that time, Jesus owned no real property. He had very few of the many things that you and I consider the necessities of life. He did it without complaining. He did it joyfully. He was laying a foundation. the foundation for the redemption of my soul. The day came. The religious leaders of His day were envious of Him and they they laid out a plot to take His life. And it was at that point Jesus died on the cross giving me, giving you freedom from sin. Jesus was there that night in that upper room. He's there with his disciples around that table. They're sitting there in Jerusalem eating the Passover, and it's less than 24 hours before he's going to die on the cross. And there Jesus taught them the wonderful lessons we read of in John 13. He taught them that beautiful lesson on humility as he girded himself with a towel and humbled himself and washed their feet. And then he went out into the garden of Gethsemane that night. He went out there to pray. And I want to read a part of that prayer. I'm going to read from Matthew 26 and begin with verse 39. And he went a little farther. And he fell on his pray- face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt." And he cometh the disciples and find them asleep and said unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and he left them and went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to the disciples and said, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed to the hands of sinful men. And sure enough, a multitude carrying swords and say. And the rabble of the street that had been hired for the purpose were in the garden of Gethsemane to arrest him. Judas. Judas led the way. And when he came, he kissed Jesus on the cheek as a mark of identification. He wanted the mob to know, that's the one. He's the one. He's the man you're seeking. Imagine, if you can, the agony of that. Imagine if you can the agony of that betrayal and the agony of the crucifixion. They took Jesus that same night in front of Annas, the retired high priest. Then they took him to Caiaphas, the official high priest. At dawn they took him before the council of the Sanhedrin, the very ones that wanted to crucify him. They weren't just a tribunal. They gave him no hearing. They just made his condemnation official. But they still had to get the approval of the Roman governor because it was the governor that had to endorse the death penalty. So they sent him to Pilate. Pilate told the people, according to Luke's account, I find no fault in this man. Pilate even asked if he could release him as prisoner of the year, but the people wouldn't hear of it. So Pilate gave them their wish, and Jesus was taken out to Calvary. There on the hill of Golgotha, he was crucified. I think, as I said earlier, we sanitized it so much. We've heard the story so many times. I think it's hard for us to realize, truly, the deep significance of Jesus' death we're too immersed in our own affairs raising our families earning a living going to the doctor coming and going entertaining ourselves doing all the things of our lives but somehow as we contemplate the story as it's contained here in God's book can we not somehow feel the power of God's love the overwhelming power of God's love as it shows itself to us in Jesus Christ dying to save my soul. He's on the cross. And you and I would have probably been somewhere at the back of the crowd. But we could have heard Jesus in his agony say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We could hear him speak to one of the malefactors next to him today. you will be with me in paradise. And he'll look down from the cross and you will see Mary, his mother. Not far away is John, the beloved disciple. He'll look to Mary and say, woman, behold thy son. And he'll turn to John and say, behold thy mother. Death is coming and he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it must have seemed to him that God, his Father, had turned his back on him at that time. Because he died there. And we always talk about he died there for the sins of the world. Think about it differently. Jesus didn't just die on that cross for the sins of the world. Jesus died on that cross for my sin. Jesus died on that cross for your sin. later we hear him say, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and he remained there for a part of three days. He was guarded with a special guard that his enemies placed there around the tomb to make sure that no one could steal his body and claim a resurrection. Now I want you to go back to our psalm service along the to And that beautiful song that Rodney picked out. It's the song of Mary Magdalene. They sing it a lot. Have you ever really contemplated the words of that song? And listened to the words of that song from the point of view of Mary as she arrived at the tomb early on the first day of the week? I come to the garden alone, while the dew is still on the roses, the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. He speaks, and the sound of His voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing. And He walks with me. And He talks with me. And He tells me, I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Imagine how Mary felt. Mary, out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons, How she felt when she came to the garden alone that morning. While the dew was still on the roses. She said, that the said, And he bids me go through the voice of woe. What did he tell Mary to do? Go and tell the disciples and Peter. But that statement there, of course, The joy we share as we carry there no one else has ever known. That's Mary's song because it has begun to dawn on the first day of the week. Later he appeared to two disciples on their way home to the little town of Emmaus. A week later he appeared to the eleven faithful disciples. He appeared to them on several occasions, once on a mountain somewhere in Galilee. And then he was taken up into heaven, never to set foot on this earth again. But he's in heaven, reigning, sitting at the right hand of God, preparing a place for me for those who call on his name, for those who live his kind of life, for those who will be obedient to his will. Those disciples had slipped away after the crucifixion. They were despondent. They were discouraged. They were heartened again after seeing Jesus. And they spent the rest of their lives telling others about how they'd seen him bow on the cross and they'd seen him buried in the tomb and they'd seen him after that alive forevermore our faith is in a set of facts our faith is in a set of things that have happened and it's on that set of facts and it's on those things that happened that we base our faith and our confidence that Jesus truly was the Son of God not a myth, not merely a man but the Son of God sent from heaven to tell us how to live and to pay the penalty for my sin. And the tragedy of that is that there's so many in our world today who really love the Lord and who really believe on the Lord who've never really been obedient to His will. They've never heeded that command of Jesus when He said, Whosoever will confess me before me and him will I confess before the Father in heaven, quietly. In the privacy of their own home, in the everyday affairs of their life, in the way they live and in the way they treat others, they believe in But they've never made it known. Jesus said in that Sermon on the Mount, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Maybe you've heard the word of Jesus often. And maybe you've heeded his call and confessed his name. And maybe you've repented of sins and been buried with him in baptism. But maybe you haven't lived this kind of life. Or maybe you haven't ever even done those things. I don't know what the needs of your life might be today, but if we can assist you in being obedient to Jesus Christ, grabbing hold of the sacrifice He made and living this kind of life, this is your opportunity to do that as we stand and while we sing.